I will never write a single line which I have not first felt in my own heart. He'll teach you everything! Truer words were never spoken. All right. Language and writing were made available. I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. Oh, wow. This is John Helps You Write Better, and I'm John, so we should be, you know, I guess writing better. Okay, let's do it. Here we go. A little bit of housekeeping right up front. If you go right now to johnhelpsyourwritebetter.com forward slash podcast, you will see two buttons. The first button, I believe it is orange, allows you to become a comrade. Now, basically what that is is a subscription to the podcast that gives you access not only to everything already available on the podcast feed, but it also gives you exclusive access to a growing archive of loads of different stuff. Right now, uh, there's about an hour and change, maybe an hour and 20 minutes worth of discussion all about book marketing. So uh, that archive is growing leaps and bounds uh, almost daily at this point, and more stuff is added all the time, but all that stuff is only available over at johnhelpsyourwritebetter.com forward slash podcast. Click the button, become a comrade, support the show. The other button, which is uh, right next to the big orange button, but you'll see it, it's different. It will allow you just to, you know, throw a tip my way. Say, hey, thanks for making stuff. Uh, Those are the two best ways, other than sharing the link to the podcast and telling your friends all about it. Those are the two best ways to help me grow and help this thing grow and give us a chance to do more things together. Okay, on we go with today's uh, topic, discussion, thing. What's the word for that? Okay, anyway, back to business. Look, I don't want to be clickbaity, but basically you can say that today I'm about to give you three words that don't need to show up in your manuscript, or if they do, they need to do it very, very super rarely, and I want to give you reasons why. First of all, somebody's going to get real cranky with that title or real cranky with this idea saying that I'm somehow prohibiting language and it should never be a hard and fast rule, but then they'll also turn around and tell you how bad the passive voice is or how manuscripts need to be a certain size or some hard and fast rule. And look, either we're going to have some hard and fast rules and we're all going to be adults about it or we're not going to have any hard and fast rules and everybody's not going to do as well as they could. We need some rules every now and then. It's not the end of the world. And one of the rules we can have is, hey, you don't need to put these words in here so much. They're not doing the thing you think they're doing. This isn't so much that the word is bad and anyone saying it should be pilloried in the town square. I'm just trying to help you not sound like an idiot. I don't know how else to put it. Three words you don't need. Here we go. Now, what I'm about to tell you exists and extends into exposition and not so much dialogue. Dialogue, say, have the characters say whatever the hell you want, totally fine. But exposition, that's a different story because exposition is how we're going to communicate to the reader. It's how we're going to convey our tone and get across our themes and our arcs and our actions and our plots and all that other stuff. And we want that working as effectively as possible. So when these three words show up, well maybe we're not doing that as effectively as we could. First word to go is the word just. Now, this is often used in context to qualify an action. He just did this, 
or it's only just a fill in the blank. And what you're trying to, what you're intending to say probably is that the action is simple or the action was individuated or separate from a group or the action is something by comparison less complex than something else. It sounds like it makes sense. However, when you water everything down, when you're isolating individual things and making comparisons between one thing you're writing and other things you're writing, you're basically playing small. You are basically saying that, hey, um, I don't mean to focus you on this big stuff over here. I'm just trying to get you to look at this eh, kind of mediocre, smaller scale thing that's less important and I'm downplaying it because I'm attaching a just to it. It's sort of like saying he just did brain surgery. That's a big deal, but the just there nukes it, turns it down, dampens it, shortens it, whatever. We don't need just. Say what it is instead of saying what it isn't. Say what it is to the degree that it is, and you won't need just at all. Next one, thus. Oh man, does this one show up quite a few times when you've got a writer desperate to sound super smart. Why do they want to sound smart? I have no idea. They were already smart to begin with. But for whatever reason, we just love chucking around with us. Now again, if we're writing a legal thriller and we've got some lawyers doing lawyer stuff up front, sure, drop a thus in dialogue. Again, it's dialogue. Characters can say whatever they want. But when you're trying to chain thoughts together and demonstrate that one thing is the effect of another thing's cause, or A leads to B, or because this thing happened a page ago, a paragraph ago, a chapter ago, now something else is happening, the context, what else is going on? you got to trust that reader to understand what's happening. All that context clue stuff they used to teach you in elementary school should be the reason why you don't need to say thus. If you talk in one sentence about how there's a storm about to start and then it starts raining, you don't need to, you know, talk about the dark rain clouds appeared. Thus, it began to rain. No, the dark rain clouds had me covered. I'm smart enough to understand that one thing came from somewhere else. I don't need the hand-holding, especially a condescending hand-holding like the word thus to show up. Usually what happens with a writer dropping thuses all over the place is they're trying very hard to get the reader to understand a sequence of events, A to B to C, or that C is the result of this or that happening or whatever. And it's a, it's a nervousness. It's a sense of, I don't know if this is going to make sense to you, but the implication here forks either A, I don't know if it's going to make sense to you because I believe I'm a terrible writer who can't get two words out without suddenly screwing everything up. Or B, and slightly worse, I don't think you're going to understand this because I think you're an idiot. Neither of those two things are true. You don't want to think your reader is stupid. You don't want to treat your reader as stupid. You don't want to treat them like a child. And that means things like, and we'll talk about this in more detail tomorrow, you don't want to over-explain things. You don't want to like double-check and verify and back all the way up and repeat the same thing in three different ways. But you've got to trust the reader to have read books before, and you've got to trust the reader to have established a set of cause-and-effect relationships within writing. Now, of course, there's, there's going to be a whole discussion tomorrow when we talk about this that some of this stuff doesn't apply if you're writing, I don't know, an early reader book because see Dick Run, see Jane Sit, 
Yes, we are teaching cause and effect there. But by and large, the majority of people listening to this podcast are not writing C. Dick Run, C. Jane Sit. So trying to like belabor the point that the reader should pay attention or that you think they're not going to fathom your genius is wasted effort. Don't do it. The other point, the more anxious point, the idea that you're not a good enough writer to do a thing. So, you know, uh, you've got to keep explaining everything because we just have to keep talking. We can eventually find a word that makes you like me more. It's It just comes across as desperate. We don't want to be desperate. We want to be confident. It's okay to be confident. It's okay to think that we're doing all right sometimes. We don't need to micromanage every word, every syllable, every piece of punctuation. We can just roll our story out. And when, yeah, sometimes it's going to wobble. Sometimes, yeah, there might be an issue. Yeah, sometimes we could say something better. But that's why we have drafts. That's why we have editors. That's why we have, you know, loads of different revisions we can make. It doesn't need to come out perfect and then stay that way. It just needs to come out. Trust yourself to be doing okay with this stuff. It's hard and a little scary to believe in yourself, especially if, like me, you're the sort of person who doesn't naturally do that. But it's fundamental to your writing, and it's going to make a huge, huge difference. Here's our third and last word, but I'm going to put a little asterisk by it because sometimes there are cases and causes where this shows up. So I'm going to make a special case for this third one. So when it starts a sentence. Now, there are exceptions to this, like when you're in first person and you're, you're creating some impact to hit a paragraph to pick it up give it a little pizzazz or tie something together. But by and large, in exposition, when we're not in first person, when we're not trying to like create a punchline or a gotcha moment or something intense like that, so when it starts a paragraph, is weak. It's not bad or wrong. You're not breaking the rules. The word police aren't going to show up to your house. All cops are bastards. It's, it's just not as strong an opening as you think. In the same way that a phrase like, as you may remember, or note that, you can, you can omit those things because you can just say the thing you want them to remember and they'll remember it. Or you may recall. You're just going to tell them what they want, you want them to recall in the first place. You don't need the beginning. And likewise, you don't need so. I have a terrible habit when I write. And maybe you've seen this when you're, if you've ever checked out the Substack, uh, johnhelpsyourwritebetter.substack.com or any of my old, old, old blog posts, which are now floating through the ether somewhere, or my old Medium stuff, johnhelpsyourwritebetter.medium.com. I use so when I'm trying to collect my thoughts. And I do it as a writing habit, as a crutch, in the same way that while I'm talking, I sometimes go, uh, and then there's about a tenth of a second or two twenty, you know, two tenths of a second. Uh, when, see, I just did it right there. When, when I need to pause, cause I'm, I'm waiting for my brain to kind of cycle and catch up with my mouth or vice versa. It, it becomes a little tick. It becomes a little thing. It's not great. I don't need to do it. And if I sit down and really organize what it is I'm trying to say, I can go without it. However, it, it, when I'm just trying to be me and talk to you and talk to you the way I would normally talk to anybody who came walking into the room. I'm going to say so, and I'm going to write it down. It happens. Are these words bad? Are you bad or wrong if you use them? Should you immediately go through and mass find all and mass delete? No. Context situationally in the paragraph may make some of these words the best choice for saying what you're trying to say. That's okay. 
what I'm trying to do, what I'm hoping this does, is bring it to your attention that sometimes when we're crafting an idea and trying to get it across, we want to make better choices than the first immediate gut choice. Sometimes, yes, that's the right way to go, but other times we can find a different way to say the same idea and get it across clearer, sharper, stronger, more impactful. Give that some thought, and I'm going to come back and talk to you tomorrow all about why your reader isn't stupid. See you.